0: I've actually been to Kashmir before. You have? The houseboats, like on, is it, how do you say it? Dal Lake, the lake there with
1: the houseboats? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, but so I've never, stunning. but I've never been. Yeah. Yeah, wow, so what nice. took you up there?
0: I joined like a India tour and that was like one of the places was in Kashmir. And I'm like, that's honestly the, you <laughs> the know, most stunning place I've been to.
1: Wow, that's amazing. And you know, my grandparents would tell me a lot about it and what it looked like. And I was supposed to go with them, uh but it just never was the right time and mm-hmm. you know sometimes they say it was dangerous so we didn't go over i really yeah i really wish i would have gone before my grandpa passed oh. away Yeah.
0: so your dad moved to from india to the bay area or
1: yeah that's right my dad moved to berkeley to go to business school and that's where he met my mom
0: oh okay and what does what do your parents do
1: well my dad was in accounting like you work for businesses helping them uh with the numbers and my mom was a social worker so she would do a termination of parental rights which meant if uh, there was a household where kids were getting abused she would go she would inspect she would write a report and then she'd make a case to a judge that she uh felt they were suited or not suited mm-hmm. to be parents yeah and then yeah she didn't in some cases take the kids away so she she had a lot of enemies at, at times mm. for it, but she did good work. I think.
0: Where do you think you got your creative side from?
1: Uh, my creative side probably from my mom. My mom was a more, you know, tree hugging, open minded. <laughs> she she played cello also. Mm-hmm. My dad was much more of the uh, scholastic. Um, you know, had like a really tough regiment that he wanted in his household and. When my parents split up, um, I think I got more in touch with my mom at that point, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I was I was creative. I, I guess I have parts of both of my parents. But...
0: Was this split difficult for you?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was tough. I mean, I had a best friend at the time, and then when the split happened, my parents, I was, I was really upset, and I was. I, I, I kind of cut off communication with my best friend, so I kind of lost my best friend. His name was Lloyd at the time. Interestingly, Lloyd was uh, another kid in the Bay Area who went on to make music, and, and uh, he became the producer of uh, The Pack, and he made that song Vans, the Vans oh, yeah. song, Got My Vans On But They Look Like Sneakers. Yeah. So it was funny, but when we were kids, we never worked on music together. That just kind of happened after we stopped uh, talking. Yeah. That was very random.
0: How do you describe yourself back then growing up? Uh, I think I was,
1: I had a lot of trouble connecting with other people, if there's a word for that.
0: How did you like get more and more into like music, making music when you were younger?
1: Well, I was really into rap music um, and I was really into computers. So when the programs came out that allowed people to make music on a computer, I hopped on it really quickly. And because of, you know, my savvy with computers, I was able to, you know, pick it up fairly quick. But in the beginning, I was just like sampling, which is a traditionally hip-hop thing to do, which is to just take a little parts of one song and match it, you know, match it with another song and uh, create something new that way. But I didn't even know what the hell a chord was or anything or how to put notes together. That that came really slowly, and you know, to be honest with you, I really envy kids who have access to YouTube nowadays because with YouTube you can uh, learn you can learn very quickly uh, how to do things that took me, you know, years and years to figure out how to do. It.
0: And you're also writing diss tracks and stuff, right?
1: Diss tracks. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, I was in a different group, I was called the cataracts and the way that I met the guy in the cataracts is that I wrote a diss track, uh, dissing him in that circulated school. And uh, you know, I yeah, that's really funny to you know that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's right. And you also what turned your home into like a studio and rented out for 15 an hour.
1: Yeah, for 15 bucks <laughs> rented, an like, hour. already like an
0: entrepreneur back then. Yeah,
1: that's right. You know, I had a few guys who went on to do things. I had the Pack guys, g We were the same high school. He was over at my house. Uh, and uh, who else? This guy, Nick-Knack. nick a really great producer. He's, he produced the last couple of DJ Khaled songs with Justin Bieber and stuff that became big hit. So, knickknack, yeah, he's over at my house. I mean, I was just, yeah, trying to make a quick buck, you know, 15 bucks an hour, whatever, come over to my mom's house. I dealt, I dealt dealt with a lot of fucking knuckleheads. And not just like little kid knuckleheads. Like, I dealt with some like real adult knucklehead gangsters, got myself into trouble. Where like, you know, I do some work for a guy, and he expected, you know, past the 15 hours, uh, $15 an hour that he was paying for, that I would, you know, do all the mixing afterwards after he left and stuff. And, uh, you know, there were a couple of cases where I had a lot of work started to get expected of me, you know, a lot of pressure was put on me and then I wouldn't do it. And then I had just big, you know, mean looking guys showing up in my mom's house. From my, oh my from gosh. My front door. So... I'm, I'm, lucky to have gotten out of that. Oh my god, of course. Okay, we're approaching Skid Row now. You got the tents. Depends on how firm your grip is on your camera.
0: (laughs) I'll just turn back. Got a good grip. Did you like school back then?
1: Yeah, I liked school. No. No. I mean, I'd go home as much as I could to to work on music. You know, I was skipping a lot of school. I wasn't even sure if I wanted to go to college. My dad was really... I mean, he really wanted me to go to college. That's a very traditional Indian thing, you know. We want to follow a more conventional path. And... When I told them that I didn't want to, they sent me to India and they were gonna teach me in India. My grandpa was gonna teach me time management. and Basically what that meant was to manage music as a hobby and to manage school as my main focus. So I went to India and I thought I was only gonna be there for a couple weeks, but then I ended up being there for basically the whole summer. Uh, you know, at first I hated it, because all I would do was argue with my grandpa about how much I believed in music and how much he didn't. But we ended up seeing all of India. We went through all of these temples. Uh, I traveled all over um, and it was it was amazing you it, it opened my eyes up to my heritage and to just uh, start to I think and sort of implement that into my identity and you know when my, when my dad came from India he there were a few things he brought with him, like we would watch Bollywood movies on the local TV network and stuff, but he didn't teach me Hindi, and he didn't really have any intention of carrying much of India over with him. So that was sort of a, more of a personal journey that happened when I spent um, that summer in India. And uh, You know, it started a relationship with my grandpa, which at first wasn't really a positive relationship, but luckily in the last three or four years, that changed, uh, and music brought me to India and brought us closer together Mm -hmm. and and then allowed me to bring him up on stage uh, when I performed. Yeah, that's so
0: cool. (laughs) But how did you realize that you wanted to do music as a career? Like, were you thinking that you were going to be a producer or what was it that you could have done at that point?
1: You know, I probably would have told you I'd be a rapper when I was younger or, or just involved more in rap music. I just knew that that as much, like the capacity that I had to do music so relentlessly, I was just so sure that it would work out for me in some way. I was really, really confident. Like, you know, people would question me, my family would question me, and I just had no doubt. I, I uh, really believed in myself, not knowing exactly how it would all pan out, but just that uh, just that it would. And that blind confidence led me to, uh, take, uh, you know, ditch college and, and give the my group at the time the cataracts a real shot, and then it led me to come to L.A. with basically no game plan, you know, but um, all, all, all you really need to do is believe and then to work at mm-hmm. it like 25 hours a day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Did you know anyone back then, like a mentor or someone they could talk to for advice?
1: Um... Sort of. I mean, we with the cataracts. While I was still in college, this this guy reached out to us from New York, and he was he was uh, somebody who had kind of done a little little bit of stuff in music, and uh, kind of you know gave us uh, some attention. And he was older, and so we started taking his advice about what kind of songs we should be making or which songs he liked. And, you know, so he was like our first kind of example of a manager, I guess mm-hmm. you could say.
0: And then for the cataracts, how did you get yourself out there initially?
1: Well, we were just really circulating songs locally, trying to, you know, pass out CDs. And then with MySpace, I mean, the internet really changed everything because mm-hmm. you could just point people to a link and you could harass people online and tell them to listen to a song. And then one of our songs started getting played on the radio and that, that helped a lot. Mm-hmm. Locally in the Bay Area. Yeah. That helped a lot. Yeah.
0: When was like the transition where you realized you wanted to be a solo artist? Well,
1: the other guy in the cataracts made that decision pretty easy because he left the group. Yeah. So when he left the group, um, I tried to keep it going a little bit for my, I was just on my own, and that just obviously wasn't going to work. So. Uh, I started something new, I started Kashmir, and that was the result of me taking kind of a long, hard look at at who I was and what I wanted my legacy to be, because a lot of the Cataracts music, although it didn't start that way, had become about partying and popping bottles in the ice. That was the big one, like Mm -hmm. sick. And that became sort of a defining song, and I knew if I started something new, and this is probably how David felt and why he left the group, you know, if I started something new, I'd want it to be have. Uh, a better reflection of who I was and what I wanted my legacy to be. So that became a, you know, an, a more of an inward journey to think about that and that's how I came up with Daizmir, which obviously is a reference to my heritage.
0: And what was the decision that you didn't want to show who you are for like, was it a year or?
1: Yeah, well I'd seen the way a few guys made or attempted to make a transition from dance music into, uh, or from pop music into dance music, like Will I Am. I thought he just was... I had no class the way that he did it. I really didn't like how uh, it's, it's, it just felt like he was hopping on the bandwagon. And I wanted to make sure that if I did it, it would be in a very uh, genuine way. Uh, you know, show that I really cared about the music and took time to understand what it means to produce dance music. So for the first year, I didn't show my face because I don't want people to make any connection. Mm-hmm. But really, the way that I dabbled, put my you know, got my feet wet in the dance music was still. Oh, look at that rat. Oh
0: rap. my god, that's big ass rat.
1: Yeah, I just watched Ratatouille. It's a good, good movie. <laughs> I love it Made it. me feel a little bit, you know.
0: Better for those. Yeah, the I, have sweet a, rats. I have a
1: kind of a better disposition towards the though. But, um, yeah, what I was saying is, um, oh, yeah, the way I got my feet wet at first was to ghost produce. So while I was still in the cataract, I, was, I had a friend of mine who was a local DJ in LA. But this guy did not produce for shit, so he said, "Hey, now can you can you help me make some tracks?" I said, yeah, sure." So we worked out an arrangement where you know I'd, I'd be like sort of a manager, I guess, but really I'd just help him make the music side, and I was a go, go what you call it, ghost producer. And uh, yeah, so I made some tracks for him, and then one of them got really really big, and uh, I, you know I was still working for him, but I, it gave me the confidence to d- do something on my own. I said, "Wow, you know, I, 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 maybe I really know what I'm doing." Because one of the tracks I did for him became, you know, a big, you know, really kind of accepted, renowned song in the the dance world. Yeah. So that was a confidence boost. And eventually things fizzled out with with me and him. But um, I'm still really thankful, you know, that I had that relationship with him.
0: At one point, did you think EDM was corny? I think I read in an old interview. Yeah,
1: I did think he was corny. That's right. I, you know, when Eminem said, nobody listens to techno, I thought he was right on the money. I said, who the fuck? is this Moby guy, cause you know, he was, he was in a feud with Moby at the time. I said, who the hell is Moby? Why does anyone care? Eminem's the biggest thing in the world. And then, uh, yeah, years later, you know, you grow up also. I mean, when you're young, I think you're into like really ego-driven uh, music and just ego-driven lifestyle and rap music is all of that. But as you grow up, I think you can start to appreciate uh, you know th- things that are not about that and that that's that's i couldn't i think when i was younger it was just corny the dance music was corny but it's great i mean for someone who produces it's the way that you can really be known and get your name out there because up until recently no one knew who the hell producers were mm. the guy who produced a song who the fuck cares yeah. you know and then dance music comes around and now these guys who really are the ones responsible in a lot of cases for making great songs, now they're getting appreciated. So, it's a beautiful thing.
0: Mm -hmm. Who were the early inspirations when you first started out Kashmir?
1: Early inspirations, I would say, guys I really looked up to were Hardwell, uh, Tiesto, Showtech, uh, I love Porter Robinson, and Avicii. I mean, I think Avicii maybe almost more than anybody, because he really showed me that you can make dance music with with a soul that um, is is, is mu- you know really musical. And uh, Avicii's songs are really songs, you know, more than they are like dance tracks that you hear at a club. They're, they're uh, you know dance music is the format, but um, he's just a beautiful songwriter. Mm-hmm. So I think that appeal. He just. To me, the ceiling was just higher with his music, and um, I—I'll never forget when I did the song "Jamu." Avicii—he played it in a show, and he even like said a little something about it, like he did like a little voice blur of like how much he liked the song, and okay. that really touched me, you know, because mm-hmm. I was—I was, I was kind of just getting started, and I'm—I was really proud of pr- pr- that Jammu song also. So. Mhm.
0: And you know, how did you realize to do the face reveal with Tiësto back then?
1: Well, I knew I didn't want to just be this hidden guy forever and doing it with Tiesto seemed like the biggest way you could do it.
0: And did a lot of your connections from the cataracts carry over to Kashmir and it was like easier to gain momentum with it?
1: Well I think I think my connections with songwriters, yeah. Mm. That really did help. And Yeah, I had some name recognition and relationships with the cataracts, yeah, definitely. Also, just my ability to to kind of coordinate a song being made, I think. That's an aspect of being a producer that's a little bit more old school. Uh, And some of the new school producers who just, it's just them in a solitary state with the computer, don't have the best grasp on how to get in touch with singers, bring them in, get a good song written maybe get someone else to vocal it if the songwriter isn't the best choice for the vocalist.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: those are things that coming from pop music that I learned how to do. Yeah. Not the best at it, but I learned how to do it, yeah.
0: How did you gain such a big fanbase in Asia and South America? Like, what do you think about your...
1: I don't know. I mean, the fanbase in India makes sense to yeah, me, that you know. <laughs> um, but how that permeated to all of these other countries in, the, in Asia, it's, it's kind of still a, a mystery to me, but, mm-hmm. but it's, it's really amazing. I mean, in South America, I noticed also, I got a little bit of that. I think in South America, they also just appreciate, like, more aggressive party music. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's just some of the best crowds and easiest crowds to play to are down there in, in in South America and I, I speak Spanish pretty well so yeah. uh, when I'm on stage in South America I can speak on the microphone the whole show in Spanish I love that. And, yeah yeah so that helps.
0: What are the inspirations behind Good Vibes Soldier?
1: Inspiration, behind Good Vibes Soldier? You know that was the original idea sent to Vinny Vici. I, I thought would be a good side trance idea but then they sent me back this pop version of it that, that you hear now that had this didgeridoo which I thought was such a fucking cool and unusual instrument. You know, it's this crazy instrument that comes from Australia. Yeah. And they were able to make it work in track and make it sound really good. So I was like, what the hell? Is Let's go with this version of it. They also came up with the reggae uh, singer-rapper guy on there. So I was like, you know what? It's fuck- It's really weird and left field for me. But I like the song. And, um, you know, if I like songs, I'm, I'm uh, just feel better putting them out yeah what am I gonna do
0: <laughs> how did you how did you decide you wanted to start your label
1: I really I started Dharma because so many people will be sending me track ideas uh, with the intention of collaborating with me and I just couldn't collaborate on all of them. And in a lot of cases I'd want to I like the song I'd be like yo this is really dope yes I want to work on it with you so as soon as I get the chance then I'll do it but what that led to is a lot of uh, that led to a lot of people waiting around for me and I wasn't really able to finish as many songs as I promised. So with Dharma, I was able to create a platform where even though I'm not collaborating, I could still put the music out. Mm-hmm. But and I felt, like, yeah. I felt like it was time. I mean, I think I established like a, kind of like a, maybe a distinct sound sort of, you know, with my music. And I think other, I heard a lot of other artists starting to do stuff similar to that and it felt like a, a good it could be a good label
0: mm-hmm. yeah. how would you say your music has changed since the early songs you made well at first i just wanted to
1: make bangers like anybody else you know like just songs that could be accepted as like big tracks in the dance world that people would play out but then that started to evolve into having my own sound uh which at the first was like, felt like taping, taking a little bit of a leap of faith like to put out songs like Jammu and Kashmir at first because I wasn't sure how interested people would be in uh, that that Indian sound. But as it turned out, it became this defining thing for me. So I think, you know, I always say for people who are to say, how, how do I find my sound? It's like, who knows, you know, you just have to mess around and then everything that inspires you will just come out and all the little, the tiny decisions you make, that will create your sound, you know. When you're a producer, when you make a song, by the time it's done, you've made thousands of decisions and your personality, if you're interesting, I mean, if you're just a dial tone and you're a boring person, then it it will be difficult to disguise that, you know, but Mm -hmm. I think that if, if if you have a story to tell of some sort and you're willing to... Be confident and pursue your gut. Then you'll. Then I think you'll find your sound. You'll make good music.
0: How would you say you've grown up as a person compared to when you were younger?
1: Well, I think I think uh, at first, in younger my life, having difficulty connecting to other people became sort of calloused over with having like a really thick wall and the sort you know ego and having like this tough guy mentality and then after just finding appreciation you know being appreciated for my music and finding like good healthy people around me who i care about who cared about me i was able to let some of that ego go and uh, be in a place where you know i still take music very seriously but um I think I have my priorities straight in that I'll do music, and uh, but I, you know, put my friends first and my relationships and the people I care about at the top of it. You know, other Cause than you can do yeah.
0: Work. Other than that, what would you say have been your biggest challenges in life? I think
1: I think the biggest challenge. I mean, if I just say in life, I mean, you could really get way off into your life, but... I think my biggest challenge with music was just getting the foot in the door, like with anyone, and having anybody give a shit about you, and even including your name on any list or any conversation, you know, when they, when they talked about music and people were doing things. It's really hard to just get on that list. And then if you taste success, Uh, The new, really even maybe harder thing is how to keep it and to be successful with something but to not find yourself in a place where you're just imitating yourself and trying to recreate success you've had before. I think that's very difficult and uh, it can be hard to avoid. It's really hard to distinguish in your mind, you know, what is driving you if it's creativity and really just like pure got an inspiration or is it the uh kind of memory of success and does this sound like something that is successful and therefore I want to do that? And oftentimes you don't find a lot of success by just trying to recreate other successful things.
0: Yeah. What does love mean to you?
1: Love? What does love mean to me? Um I think love is just that thing that doesn't go away when you stop thinking about it. You know? Oh,
0: I love that. <laughs> Last question, what do you want to be remembered for?
1: Remember for, I think helping people. People are in tough spots and helping them through it. And then, I don't know, I mean, all I ever cared about really was music. So mm. to be important in some way to this society, which is so important to me, that's probably my own personal form of, of happiness to be cared about by the people that I care so much about. and to matter to the thing that I care so much about, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, I yeah. love that. This is awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Sure, sure. <laughs> Bye.